this was the theme for men's camp, and initially, originally, Sunday morning, I, I, I kind of was preparing something different for us Sunday morning, but because of a short week, 4th of July, I didn't quite get those thoughts fully formed, <clears throat> and as we were preparing for men's camp, I thought, well, this surviving to thriving kind of ties in with what I shared last week on freedom and moving towards freedom, and I, so I'm going to pick up where uh, we kind of some of the stuff we covered at men's camp. So guys, if you saw this, I pray you'll get something a little different out of it. Um, it's, it's kind of combining a couple messages from the weekend. And so I'm just trusting that you're going to catch this thought about not just settling for survival mode, but moving beyond that. Amen? Can you guys see that? Who is that? Anybody know what movie this is from? From Castaway. You got it. I can't believe that movie was... Uh, put out in 2000. It's already like 18 years old. And uh, so uh, at men's camp, there was a volleyball in the pool that had a face on it like Wilson. And uh, so Tom Hanks, he's a, he flies for FedEx or he's an executive of FedEx. He's flying back from Malaysia, gets caught in a hellacious storm, his plane crashes, and he's the lone survivor. And uh, so he ends up on this deserted island and over the course of next several days, there's packages that are floating in from the FedEx crash that he sets up camp and life and, and just goes into survival mode. So let me ask you this. What are some things about the mindset of a survivor? Just somebody what's surviving. What, what are some of the characteristics that they start thinking or that kind of obsesses or, or possesses their thinking? Come on. What, what? Hope. hope. So they're, they're looking for hope for sure. They're looking for hope. What else? Fear, Fear looking for resources. They're, they're, okay, this is all I got. I'm going I'm to have to scramble to, to just see what I have to survive. Somebody fear? How many believe in that situation that fear might be an issue to you? Yeah. What else is a survivor? How else would you think? Okay, raise a hand and I can grab you. Money? Perseverance would be a huge part. You start getting a plan, I, I'm, I'm not going to give up, or you're fighting against a mindset that wants to give up. Somebody else? Determined. Being determined. That's part of it. Over here? Rescue. rescue. You're hoping for rescue. You, you, your heart is set on rescue. When you're in survival mode, is, it, is the focus more on you or other people? Is it, you turn inwardly, right? When you're in rescue mode, you're, you're really just thinking about me. Like, I'm in a bum place, I'm alone, and, and I want to get out of here. What are the things about rescue? Or, or secure, or uh, what's that? Loneliness, being a survivor. You're often lonely, so much so that you would befriend a volleyball <laughs> and have a fairly intimate discussions with a volleyball named Wilson. So that's survivor mode. And uh, so much of... You know, sometimes our Christian experience and so much of just life is about the survivor mode. And I was reading some things about this idea of going from survivor to thriving, surviving to thriving, and picked up some articles and started reading about just in our culture how much of life is just about surviving. And so Jesus told a story here that I kind of want to frame from that perspective, the survivor frame. It's about the Good Samaritan. And it says, on one occasion, expert of the law stood up and to test Jesus. And he said, uh, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? And he replied uh, and said to him, how do you read it? And the guy answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus said, you've answered correctly. He replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So the guy asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, well, with a story, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So he ignored him. So too, another Levite, a a, a priest, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, one who wasn't even of the same tribe or the same religious uh, system, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on and wine on him, and put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, he took out two more denarii, like two more days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And then he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses. So this Samaritan's going the extra mile. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands, Jesus asked. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Go and do likewise. So this story is in Scripture And this story is really about survival. Jesus is talking about a guy that got robbed and beat up and and messed up and left for dead. And and the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus in a rescue mode, a deliverance mode. He's come to help him, to bring him back up, to to encourage him, to get him into some level of wholeness. That's that's a part of the Gospel. And that's a part of the Gospel I appreciate. How about you? Because this guy was robbed. He was beaten. And scripture said he was left for dead. And Jesus tells this story about somebody going out of their way to help this guy. And it's definitely one part of the gospel. But I see in the gospels another side, not just the surviving side, but I see in the gospels and also Paul's writings, the other side where it's just not trying to get us to survive, but he wants us to thrive. And he gives insight about that. I was reading this article and watched a little video clip this week from, uh, or last week, was from uh, a group of uh, psychologists, sociologists. Their their concern was they said most of Western medicine now, and often even in the church, and a a good part of psychology, let me go, what did we we miss one there? Keep going. Uh, Much much of psychology is, is about getting us back to zero. Just getting us out of our misery, but no, no, not much further. That even in, you know, pain management and when people are having severe issues in joints and backs and necks, so much of the focus of Western medicine is just to alleviate symptoms, but not to get them to the other side. In psychology, they would say much of the effort is put into stopping depression, stopping thoughts of suicide. Maybe trying to overcome discouragement, but the goal, they say, often in our focus has been, and even in the church, is just to get you to quit sinning, well, you know, just to, to depart, give up the, the pursuit of hell and start pursuing heaven. And, and in all those things, and a lot of those things, the mindset is we, we're just trying to get you back to zero. But the idea of thriving is different than that. Do you believe that? See... What do you think? Do you believe the church is supposed to be a battleship or a hospital? Right answer, both. I believe it's supposed to be a battleship with a big infirmary on the back of it. 
I, I believe God, he saved us and he wants to get us whole and healthy and strong in a place where we're living out of overflow and relationship with him so we can help other people, right? But in our heart, in our head, if we think it's just a hospital and, and the message is just about overcoming brokenness and the message is just getting me back to zero on Tuesday or Wednesday or Sunday morning, that I'm, I'm struggling all week long, and my goal of just being worship on Sunday morning is to get back to zero, I think we're missing a part of the gospel. I think we're missing part of the message that Jesus wants us to prosper. Do you believe that? He, he wants us not just to survive, and there's seasons for all of us we've been in survival mode, difficult stuff that happens. But our mindset, if we stop there, and we're not open to the promises, and we're not open to the ministry of the spirits to help us to move into that survival mode, this is, this is the passage in uh, Psalm 84, 5. Can you read this with me? It says, Blessed are the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacaw, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pool, pools, and they read seven, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So here's the thought behind it. There's people that make this annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They do go there for the festivals. For the, the you know, there's several different festivals. There's Passover. There's, there's the, you know, the times, days of atonement, times when there's just celebration, the different feast days that come, that they make this pilgrimage. And many having, coming from this region of Israel have to pass through this Valley of Bacaw, they called it. And Bacaw means the Valley of Weeping. I was looking for the historical significance of what other things might have gone on there to get that name Valley of Weeping, but most say it's a dry and a desolate place, but you got to pass through there to get to Jerusalem. That's why they're saying those people that walk through there, their heart is set on pilgrimage. They're saying, I'm not setting up residence here. This is not going to be my home. This is not where I'm staying. I'm passing through. I'm going from here to there. And the last verse says, and each one appears before God in Zion. They're going from strength to strength, and they're going to appear before God in Zion. In other words, we're going to get to Jerusalem, and we're going to be worshiping in the temple, and we're going to have an encounter with God. But in the meantime, I got to get through the valley of weeping. Say, get through. Get through. So the goal is not I'm staying there. The goal is I'm passing through there. Anybody with me this morning? Can you read the top of that? It says, the glory of God is a man fully alive by St. Irenaeus. So this is kind of the theme, the direction we went at man's camp is discussing this idea, what it means to be fully alive. St. Irenaeus said, it's the glory of God. It's what gives glory to God when a person's fully alive. I, I remember in Purpose Driven Life that uh, when that book was written, th th that was the first chapter, the first beginning is, what does it mean to be fully alive? And that gives glory to God. So when, when birds are singing, they're doing what they're created to do, it gives glory to God. When, when creation is doing what it's made to do, it gives glory to God. And so for you and me, when we're fully alive, aligned with what we're called to do, aligned with the purpose he put in our hearts, aligned with the compassion he gives us, the love he gives us, when we're doing those things. Have you ever been feeling like you're fully alive? Something you're engaged in, that you've got all your focus? I remember when our kids were born, <laughs> fully engaged. I mean, you're, you're Jan's, <laughs> push, push, push. I mean, those are the most intense couple hours of your life. You're fully engaged, fully of life. Well, <laughs> for some, on our end, it's just... <laughs> 
the worst part of the pushing. You, you, you know, you got you to gotta gear up for that. So uh, we just get in on the end. Really more intense was when our first granddaughter was born. I was behind the curtain, so I couldn't even see what was going on, but I felt everything. Oh, and the screaming, oh, go, Ellie, pray for you, Ellie, stay in there. You're, you're engaged. But have you ever been in situations, like even work-wise, where, where, man, you just get consumed in a project and you lose sense of time? And your heart's there, and you're connected there. The other day, I was uh, at home, and Riley, our five-year-old granddaughter, was on Jan's lap. And Jan had her knee up because she's recovering from knee surgery. And Riley's curled up there, and they were having a conversation. And, it, and Jan was just fully engaged. I thought, she doesn't even know I'm here. And she's talking. And, and in that engagement where you feel like it's heart to heart, and I know Jan's got a call for kids. She does that career-wise, too. But when you're fully engaged and you're fully alive, that gives glory to God. And so this idea of surviving, I know in surviving mode, sometimes we're, we're drawing close to the Lord, we're relying on the Lord, but our prayers are different. Often they're prayers of desperation. And when we're fully alive and, and we begin to thrive, when we begin to not just have to be self-focused because of tough stuff that's going on, but when, when we get to that place where we're stepping over and we're beginning to thrive. We're beginning to get things in order. We're beginning to organize our thoughts more. And stuff from the past is getting off of us. That there's a thriving that we can start turning outwardly and making a difference in other lives around us. Amen? So here's thriving defined. The sentence might be, the roses in the West Garden are thriving. It means to flourish and to prosper. Growing, developing, burgeoning, blooming, healthy, successful. Booming, mushrooming, profitable, expanding. How many believe your heavenly father would want to define your life that way? That, that, that he would see your life as I do as a parent and a grandparent and look at the potential in my kids and my grandkids and I'm cheering for him on the inside to bloom and to prosper and to grow and to experience life and to experience God. And that heart for us to thrive Versus so many of us, because of being beat down and stuck and different things spoken and declared over us, we, we keep that limit on us and we don't see ourselves thriving. And I, I pray and declare and prophesy, be free to thrive in Jesus' name. Be free that lids come off and that you, you can see yourself expanding and growing in, into new seasons, into new ideas, into new experiences and growing, growing in God and the gifts that he's placed inside of you. Amen. How many believe Jesus came for abundant life? Can you read the bottom with me? This is out of Amplified. Jesus said, I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Back to the picture of ships. I believe God wants us on a battleship and an infirmary with a little bit of cruise ship added to it. I believe he wants us to enjoy life. Do you believe that? That he made things for us to encounter and to enjoy, to experience and part of staying filled in him, part of staying full in him and thriving in him is to have experiences that, that uh, you know, enrich us, that cause us to expand and to grow. Amen? So this guy was a guy I was talking about earlier, and Martin Seligman and a group of people that have been working on this idea of uh, what they would cause, call positive psychology, authentic happiness. They started studying what really makes people happy from more of a secular perspective, what really brings true joy to people? What brings true fulfillment to people? And I was watching this TED talk he did and then looking at another article he wrote and, and references to a book he wrote. 
what, what started coming out and what they're finding as psychologists and people, you know, they're doing analytical studies, what they're finding is some of the same things you and me with a New Testament worldview already know. Things that Jesus talked about that brings greater fulfillment. Things that Jesus talked about that brings a greater sense of satisfaction to the point that we begin to thrive. Selegman's studying the same thing that Jesus already told us would do it. And I just wanted to hit a few of those. So he says there's two paths to happiness as they studied them. There's those that pursue the pleasant life. Some authors called it the hedonistic life, which seems a little strong. But this pleasant life. And then there's others that pursue the purposeful life. And the pleasant life, they say, can lead to short-term happiness, can make really people have pleasant experiences and forget about cares and weights. And that, that pleasant life is about maximizing pleasure, so doing things that feel pleasurable to you, to avoid pain and discomfort. People that are pursuing that pleasant life, you know, you, you kind of go out of your way to stay uh, in, from uncomfortable situations. You minimize things that push you out of your comfort zone. Those that are just pursuing a pleasant life, they, they intentionally escape conflict. They don't like it. They don't want to engage in it, so they'll do what they want to to avoid it. But the hard part with a pleasant life, it constantly takes new and higher experiences for you to reach that same level of satisfaction. And so the pleasant life in our culture, you can see people experiencing it on a regular basis, things they escape to. Habits, different things they choose just to isolate themselves from things that might challenge them or cause discomfort. Maybe you and me were were in that a little bit more one time in your life. Maybe you're still identifying it now that that's your mode of how you go through life and uh, how you are pursuing happiness. Well, these guys said there's another path, and it's called a purposeful life. And uh, they say it's when you start living for greater good. And you start pursuing deeper friendships and relationships. And then you discover your strengths and, and what you're made to do. And there, there's all kinds of things online, strength finders, the things that you can do personally to start discovering, what, what am I good at? There's five or seven, depends on authors. Some say nine different types of intelligences. So you might not be good at uh, mathematical skills, but you have great musical skills. You might, be, might not be very good at your people skills, but sometimes your spatial arrangement, you, you know how, how to put things in order, how to organize. Some people have a, an athletic ability that others don't have. So you start discovering your strengths and you start moving and working from those strengths. Instead of escaping conflict, you learn how to engage and resolve conflict. And then you learn to, to develop and live from a healthy flow. It said that people that are happy, happy and enjoy a deeper level of happiness, they've learned how to have a flow in their life where you know, it's not all work and it's just not all uh, demands, 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 but they, they develop a flow to rest and to recreate, have fun. They also develop a flow of meaningful work. How do they connect spiritually? There's a flow that develops. I don't know about you, I, I've experienced that flow, a connection with God sometimes where you're living from that flow. And they said when you discover that and, and walk in it, it's, it's a, a key, one of the keys to a purposeful life. And this is the big thing for us that our camp doesn't do real well, realizing that highs and lows and adversity are part of life and that we can grow from them. Some from the pleasant life, the left column, say, I- I'm any adversity, man, I-, I-, I bind the devil and I want out in Jesus' name. It's our first response. But people that have a deeper life and, and 
a meaningful life, they're understanding that some adversity, if I approach it right, it's going to lead to more fulfillment. It's going to take me to, to something new. I, I can experience a deeper level of growth, a new place of strength. Does that make sense? So let's just look at it for a minute. Because I see Seligman's list, this left list and this right list, and I see on the right side, Jesus, you preached about that. Jesus, this is part of your gospel. This is part of the principles that you have for me. I just want to hit a few things to reinforce what Jesus said about this higher life. How about living for a higher purpose? Jesus said this in Luke. He said, I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. In other words, we got a greater thing to live for. We're in the kingdom of God. And now it's just not about me and my family and, and our, our lives, but now I, I'm called to help encourage, to help strengthen, to help build, to help make a difference in the bigger kingdom picture. And I hope you receive that yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 6, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. But read 33 with me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what happens? All these things get added. And, and I found out when you start living bigger for higher purposes that God takes care of the other stuff pretty well. And so when your heart's oriented to start building the kingdom, to make a difference in God's kingdom, that he begins to do things on your behalf and that what seemed like such a big priority that I need, I need, I need, I gotta get, 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 God adds too because you live for higher purpose. This higher purpose, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law or the Torah. So it says this, without vision, without direction, without purpose, you know, you, you, just, you just get tossed to and fro. You're just kind of pushed around. But he who keeps the law, the Torah, and that word Torah, it's deri derived from a root word that is used in the realm of archery, yare. It means to shoot an arrow to hit the mark. The target is the truth about God and how one relates to him. So Solomon says this, without vision for life, without just living for higher things or for purpose, that you're just shooting all over the place. So there, there's no fulfillment, but with prophetic vision, God, this is what you've called me to do. Lord, I understand this assignment and, and where to engage. And when we learn to grow that way and go after those things, there's a fulfillment that comes. A bunch of us were shooting guns yesterday. A bunch of us were, we, we had all, it's scary how armed this church is and our friends. <laughs> and how many rounds of ammunition. Like one guy from the other church, 245s, boom, 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 two targets. And, and, and you know, one time we had like five or six shotguns all after the same little orange skeet in the sky, just powdering it in the air. But, but how would this be? You have all those guns out there and ready, shoot, and there's no targets. We're just blowing holes in the sky. Everybody's just bam, 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 shooting randomly. Would there be much fulfillment from that? You know what brings fulfillment is there's a target and when you shoot the target and hit the target, there's something of purpose released in us. And God designed us like that in life, that there should be goals for us, that there should be things that are, are propelling us towards a, a deeper engagement. So let me ask you this. If, if the glory of God is to be fully alive, what, what makes you fully alive? Fully engaged. When you're doing it, time doesn't matter. Some of you, you're artistic. You, you, you get painting. You get caught up in scenery. You're doing it. And, and you're fully engaged and time disappears. You could be painting for a half hour or you could be painting for four hours. It, it wouldn't really matter. You're fully engaged. 
Some of you that have a deep care and concern for people, your counseling skills, and you get in those one-on-one conversations where you can see the other person's being helped and they're, they're starting to just come alive, that, that's part of your gift mix that God wants you to engage. And so does it feel like your purpose is consistent with your strengths? That you know your personality and after a while you know if you're good at math or horrible at math, somebody else should keep the bills if you're horrible at math, your partner or someone else. But, but you, you know where your strengths are, and when you're operating from your strengths, it's often connected to your purpose. Your God, once in a while, he, he calls you into a purpose so you'll grow in strengths, but most of the time, how he's wired you, your strengths have a lot to do with your purpose. I know for me, when I, I look at gift inventories and all that I've taken, one is encouragement, and so it doesn't really matter where I go, there will be a situation where encouragement comes out for somebody else, and that's just part of the gift mix. Some of you, it's counsel. Some of you, it's, it's, you know, wisdom comes out and flows. And you always find people coming to you for advice because you have a, a, a gift of wisdom, a gift of counsel. Some of you that are architects and you can see building things, you walk into a room and say, who hung that door? That thing is just funky. Why does that lock not connect? You're just very mindful of those kind of things. And that can be a gift. And we kind of chuckle at it. But how many know we need, we need construction people, electrician people, and locksmith people? But God puts those gifts in you. And so when you're doing that, it can give glory to God. I've been with guys who step back and look at that fence we built. Look at that playhouse we built. Look at, look at what we just did in the remodel. At our house, when the guys came to remodel our kitchen, I had no real vision for what it was going to end up like. But in the end, it's like, guys, that's amazing. You thought through that and put it all together. And those are gifts from God. And where people are doing that and fully engaged, it gives glory to God. Do you believe that, church? And so your gifts, is it positively impacting others when you're engaged in it? Do they, do they feel your gift when you're, when you're using that and operating it around you? Do you understand and embrace your assignments in the kingdom right now? Do you know kind of what God's calling you to or where you're supposed to connect or what the next season looks like? So even when we're in worship today and we're praying for a touch of heaven, those are when I ask God those questions, those times. God, I'm in your presence. How about this? And would you speak to me about it? Sometimes it's kind of that inner voice, but sometimes it just comes in a peace. It comes in a confirming peace that he gives us. And we can know it, amen? If you ask, he said he would, he would tell you. If you seek, you'll find. So this other thing about living from flow that they said is, leads to satisfaction and deeper happiness, Jesus lived from a flow. He said, on that last great day of the feast, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he said, out of his belly will what flow rivers of living water. And he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. I I truly believe there's a flow. Scripture says there's a throne in heaven and there's a river that flows from that throne. It's got no beginning. It just comes from the the throne of God, out of God. And then you and me can connect to that flow. We can connect to the river of life. Do you believe that? And Scripture in Ezekiel and different places describes this river and the healing that's in this river. And that there's a flow that can come to us and through us. And healthy people have developed the flow. Even unbelievers recognize that there's There's this flow of joy. There's this flow that can come to us, and we can live in that kind of flow. Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from being connected to God. This is how Jesus did it. He stayed in prayer. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. 
And he often withdrew himself in the wilderness. And what did he do? And he prayed. And when he sent the multitudes away, read the yellow with me, he went up on the mountain by himself. And what did he do? He prayed. So he's living from flow. He was living in connection with the Father. That's why Jesus said in John 15, you got to abide in me. Hey, disciples, you got to abide in me and I in you and your branch. You're, you're not going to bear fruit alone, but when you're connected to me and you're living from a flow, you bear fruit in your life and you have impact on other lives. So it's connection with him that keeps us in the flow. Amen? Is, is that, is that a, a kind of a priority for us to, to stay connected to him? I know how easy it is to get disconnected and just distractions and different things of life and devices and, you know, and I'm guilty of this. I used to do my devotions from my Bible, my paper Bible, and once in a while I still do, but most of the time now I do it from my computer or my, my phone, and it's amazing on, you open up your computer to do devotions and bing, bing, all these things start popping up, your new e your emails start showing up, your messenger's going off, and before long there's just all kinds of distractions that you don't get from a paper Bible, and you don't get from you know, years of reading the same passage, underlining those things, how they speak to you. And I know to stay in that flow, I got to do the right things to stay connected with him. Amen? Just discipline, personal practices, discipline to stay filled and connected with him. So have you developed a personal flow, any kind of a schedule or rhythm that helps you keep connected to, to God and Holy Spirit and his family? To, to develop flow, to say, God, help me. If this is the source to happiness, scientists see it. I know it's from spiritually that it's true. Then, Lord, I, I need to work on and develop that flow. George Patton, last but not least, the things we're going to talk about is dealing with adversity and how those things, if we approach them right, are going to help us to be more fulfilled. And sociologists say, or the psychologists say, actually even happier when we learn to accept and go through challenges. This is George Patton. How many remember him, General George Patton? He said, accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. He says, there's something about victory that gets in us, an exhilaration that comes from victory, but we'll never experience it if we avoid challenges or run from challenges. So what do you think Jesus would do? Would he take the merry-go-round or the roller coaster? The, the, the guy on the left going every day, do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. just going through life. And on the right side, there's the guys that say, I'm going to take a chance on the roller coaster because there's ups and downs. It kind of scare the bejeebers out of you sometime, but there's something about it that, that stirs you up and imparts that, that sense of adventure. And I, I don't know. Do you think Jesus would take the roller coaster sometimes? I, I think so. How he allowed adversity even to be in the lives of his guys. The bummer is on the roller coaster, sometimes things, things go bad. And so this is Goliath, Magic Mountain. I, I won't subject you to that too long. But also, sometimes things go really, really bad. And, and so that's the risk. That's the risk of the roller coaster. Sometimes things go challenging. Sometimes you could get puked on. Sometimes... You know, just things go bad in the awe of that, oh, no, oh, no, that thing we feel, oh, no, that thing that pushes us back that would keep us maybe from engaging and, and taking chances on those things. There's a guy at camp came up to me, and uh, he's an older guy, and he said, uh, Mike, I, I've been on the roller coaster too many times. I keep getting burned. And, and, it, and it's hard sometimes when we've had negative experiences that pushes us back and 
push us away. But overcoming adversity is saying in some of those things, I'm not sure if I would say it about this, like I'm going to get back on that. But, but some of us would say, I, I got to get up again. I can't just let past hurts, past wounds keep me from engaging and keep me from overcoming. So I'm not going to go through this. We spent more time on it, but we had a couple sessions up there. But Jesus intentionally brought his guys in places of adversity. And there's a fallen world, and there's a devil that hates us, and, and the enemy's ministry was trying to harass Jesus and his guys. But I have to believe there's things Jesus did intentionally so his guys would grow through adversity. In Mark 4, he puts them in the boats. His guys were going to the other side. They've been ministering on the Jewish side, and now they're going over to the other side, and the storm comes up, and the storm, they're frightened, we're going to die, and we're perishing, and Jesus is asleep. Now, I believe he intentionally saw that coming, said, guys, I'm going to teach you how to rise to adversity. He gets up, speaks to the storm, and it dies. When they get on the other side, here's this demoniac guy that's got a legion of devils in him, and they encounter him. And, and he cast those things out. He brought them into places of adversity so they would grow. I, I, I just, you know, went down the whole list. But how about putting Judas and Matthew, the tax collector, on your team? I mean, you would think, if I'm building a team, I want all of us to get along. And all of us, you know, we're Jews and we understand Judaism. Okay, we're going to bring in Matthew, the tax collector. And he's probably ripped off you and your family and everybody else. He's on our team now. And, and this other guy, Judas, you know, you might think he's a cool guy later, but, or now, but later on, man, he's going to mess all of us up. So I'm putting him on my team. Do you think by Jesus doing that, it, it would do something on the inside of these guys that they got to learn how to get long, along with people different than them? How to flow with people different? Then how about Lazarus, Jesus' best friend dying? I mean, he's healing all these other people. Now Lazarus dies. And, and if that adversity wouldn't, messing with you. Like, how could that happen? And then they said, Jesus, you got to come right now. He wasn't even in a hurry. He'd been dead four days when he showed up and raised them from the dead. These guys are in panic mode. Like, it's got to happen. If you, know, if you don't get there soon, his body is going to be stiff. It's going to smell. And they're, they're saying all these things to him, and he's taking his time because he, he wanted them to learn something. He wanted them to grow through adversity. He wanted them not to be impatient, but to be able to measure this thing out and say, we're going to overcome this. We're going to go through it. And in so doing, how is it going to change me? How is it going to strengthen me? And how is it going to help me? Well, just a couple scriptures and we're done. But 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering, say same sufferings, See, that's one of the ploy, the tricks of the enemy. You're the only one going through this. Nobody else understands. Nobody else has lost family like you've lost family. Nobody else has been laid off and done injustice like you've been. That, that thing that you're all alone and that you're all by yourself, he says this, that, that what, knowing that the, the same sufferings are experienced by your brother here in the world, verse 10, but may the God of all grace, who called us to what? Eternal glory. He's working glory in us. By Christ Jesus, and I hate the underlined part, after you have suffered a while. And I said in Daybreak Chapel, I've searched other translations to see if that would not be there. And then I could go to that translation. But it's in many translations. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
I'm not saying God puts this stuff on us. I'm saying we're living in a fallen planet where bad things happen to good people. Amen? There's things that happen. There's challenges that come. And it seems like here that Peter even understood that the seasons of adversity and the timing that you're in it and the lessons that you can learn through it, God's going to bring you through. He's going to bring you through the valley of tears, through the valley of Bacah. But sometimes it's going to be a perfecting thing that God wants to do in you. Sashi and Padma got up last week and shared about uh, Sashi's job loss. And many of you heard about what they went through in five weeks, not hearing from their boss and being misunderstood. But in the end, and they came to a life group too, and they told me we wouldn't, we wouldn't have gone through this any different, that God did something. We ended up with a better job, but we learned something. You know what she told me? She received love from the church during that, that some people encouraged and, and maybe being from a different culture and wondering like, am I gonna connect and feel love? She told me that she felt love from the church. Something that happened in the middle of just uh, that adversity. And if you go through it, right, it can help you grow. Amen? You believe that? It is the compelling zest of high adventure and, and of victory and its creative action that man finds a supreme joy. Sometimes it is in the adversity. Sometimes it's in the trial and the test. When you go through it with a right heart, you're going to really find a deeper sense of joy and satisfaction. So let me ask you, are you learning the lessons of leveraging adversity towards your growth and advancement? Or do you live off the left side? Things get tough, so you'll smoke a bowl, you'll have a thing of ice cream and watch, you binge watch whatever on TV. You, ju you just escape. Or do you say when adversity comes, I I'm going to engage the adversity, I'm going I'm to figure out how to grow through this, I'm going to advance through this and have the right heart and mindset and from that, there is a sense of satisfaction that comes, so much so that James wrote, count it all joy, brethren, when you endure what? Trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what? Produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you be complete, which means fulfilled, complete, lacking nothing. He, he said there's a way when it comes, if you go through it right, it's going to produce something in you. It's going to produce a fulfillment. It's going to produce a growth and a maturity. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? I have to ask myself the same thing. Your hardest times often lead to the greatest moments of your life. Stand with me and let's pray and we'll, we'll end with that. Yeah. Oh, is this the, okay. Yeah, we'll do that too. I said we'll end with that. One more. There's always one more. I, I, I like what Paul said. See, this is Paul writing from prison, his last letter. And uh, he said this, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And then he says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned, say I've learned. He said, I've learned how to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. That's part of thriving. I learned the secret, because it's not about the end result. It's not about the end that you have trophies and you have your certificates and your big desk and your nice house. Praise God for those things. But thriving is about the process. Thriving is about what Paul said. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, how I can tap into joy in every situation, how I can grow through every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. We always quote 13, but do it now. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How did he get to that conclusion? He just didn't read it on Facebook. So no, I've, I've had to walk this out. I've had to learn the secret of what it means to thrive in tough times. 
I've had to learn how to tap into flow, to stay connected with God. I've had to learn to lean on my friends and to receive help and receive encouragement from friends. I've been on this journey to thrive. And I can say there's times it's been really difficult. In the natural, I'm a survivor. But inside, spiritually, I'm thriving because I know I felt and experienced the the love of God, the help of God, the strength of God. His, His summary, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Father, I pray that whatever we're in right now, wherever we are, if we identify as a survivor, if we're identifying as one who's determined to thrive, wants to keep growing, wants to keep going, God, I pray in Jesus' name, you'd help identify us on that spectrum. And Lord, I just believe by your Holy Spirit, you're moving us as a people. And in my own walk, away from just the survivor mindset into a thriving mindset. I pray as well for those that are stuck on the spectrum. That, Lord, that, that they could receive help, that there's, wherever they're stuck, that you would connect them with somebody through prayer, through ministry, that, that help them to move off that, that just place of being stuck and to move forward, God, towards thriving. In Jesus' name, I just speak and declare freedom over you. In Jesus' name. That the limitations that we place on ourselves... And the voices we listen to would be the right voices in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You're a child of God. You have the spirit of adoption inside of you that cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And as we surrender and give our lives to Father, I promise you, Abba, Father is going to move you along the spectrum from just surviving to thriving. From living just in compelled and wrapped up in brokenness into into places and newness towards wholeness. And I pray in Jesus' name that every demonic lie would be silenced and broken in Jesus' name. That you would receive the truth of who you are in him. That you would receive the truth of his future for you. That he, he wants to give you life, abundant life. And reveal that to you and give you a working definition that's for you. How to enjoy and experience abundant life. I thank you, God, for those that are stuck saying, man, I don't know what to do. This thing about being fully alive and using my gifts, I'm not sure what those are. Lord, I pray you'd just bring them on an adventure of discovery to how you wired them and really what makes them come alive. The glory of God is a person fully alive. I prophesy you'd be fully alive. You'd be fully alive. You'd understand what that is. Free to love and receive love free to engage with people that made you uneasy, that you'd be even challenged by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage that person and they're going to like me. <laughs> that, that, you would, that you would live from that place of not just in retreat, but engaging with the love of God and the wisdom of God and the insight of God. Lord, I pray that over our church family. I know you love this group, God. I know you love these people. I thank you, Lord, for freedom, for liberty, for moving us towards those things, God. Thank you for a working definition of thriving and a resolve that you deserve it. You deserve to thrive because of your Father in heaven.